Well, if you know Jesus, then you know what it is about that name that is so special. And it is that Jesus is Lord and Savior of those who will come to him in faith. I invite you to open up your Bible with me to Romans, Romans chapter 6. And we're going to begin in verse 1 this morning, so be opening God's word there. And we're going to talk about the two lasting ordinances of the church. And we'll look at baptism today, believer's baptism, and we'll look at the Lord's Supper next week, and we'll actually partake in the Lord's Supper next week, which I'm really anticipating and looking forward to sharing that with you. But today we're going to talk about the ordinance of believer's baptism, and we call it believer's baptism because we believe that baptism is the sign of new life in Christ that comes through faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So faith in Jesus is the prerequisite to believer's baptism. That's why we don't believe in infant baptism in this church, because infants can't trust Christ as Lord. They don't have the the cognitive ability to do that. But you as an adult do. You as a, even as, uh, as young as about seven years old, the youngest person I've ever baptized could profess faith in Christ. And, but I, I want to share this truth with you this morning. Baptism is the outward sign of an inward change. Have you ever heard that before? Baptism is the outward sign of the inward change. In other words, if you don't have the inward change, you're just taking a bath. Baptism has no meaning without the heart change that is necessary for salvation. Otherwise, you're just getting dumped, getting wet, getting cold and wet. Right, Miss Christie? Where is she? Getting cold and wet. The water has no power to save you. It's just plain old ECUA public water in that baptistry. (laughs) Way back a long time ago, uh, the Norwegian Christians were using beer to baptize uh, infants, pouring beer on their heads. using. And And the legend goes, and follow this for a second, the legend goes that whenever... The priest went to the baptismal urn to get to dip the water out for the christening, for the, for the sprinkling, for the baptism. It was so cold that the water was frozen over. But the beer was thawed. I don't know about beer in church, but I don't think that really has a place. But the Pope had to step in. Pope Gregory IX declared beer baptism unbiblical. So thankful that we use water today and not beer. Um, But the New Testament does tell us about how we should perform believer's baptism. And we have many examples of how Christian baptism occurred after faith in Christ. So faith in Christ preceded believer's baptism. In the New Testament. So you have the the new believers at at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And I'm just going to read that one to you. Um, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They heard Peter's sermon. And Peter and the rest of the apostles said, Brothers, they said to them, What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Repent is is a change of mind, a change of understanding, change of belief. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. So you hear that part? Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen, Lord Jesus. Do it again. Do it now. Lord, save as many as you will, Lord. But notice, Peter said, repent and be baptized. And notice also that it said, those who received the word were baptized. So believers' baptism means that it follows, the, the act of baptism follows true and saving faith. It's not being dunked in the water that saves a person. It's the faith in Christ that saves you. And that Inward change is depicted through the outward sign of baptism. And then you have the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8.38. He heard Philip's words. He believed them. And then he said, well, what prevents me from being baptized? There's water here. And so Philip baptized the Ethiopian on the side of the road. The apostle Paul, Ananias preached to him, told him that Jesus was the one that that blinded him. He's the one that sent him to Ananias. And then Paul submitted to believers' baptism, and then the Bible says the scales fell off of his eyes when he came up. Cornelius and his household put their faith in Christ, and then Peter said whenever he saw the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their hearts as they were proclaiming in, in tongues and doing all kinds of acts that are, that are only done through the Holy Spirit, Peter said, what prevents these Gentiles from being baptized. And so then he and his whole household were baptized. The Philippian jailer, you remember that story, Paul and Silas, middle of the night, chained, shackled, praising God and praying. The Philippian jailer, the Bible says, after the earthquake, the Philippian jailer said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, just get baptized. No. What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then they were baptized. Okay? And so we've established then that baptism, according to the New Testament, is believer's baptism. Now just listen. Just indulge me here for just a minute. This is the Baptist faith and message. This is our statement of faith. And as a Baptist church, this is what we've said together, that we've covenanted together to say that we believe baptism and the Lord's Supper Article 7 of the Baptist Faith and Message, our statement of faith. Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith, his or her faith, in the final resurrection of the dead, being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. Okay? So that's what you have said as a church that you believe baptism means. What, is, what does the Bible have to say about it? Well, before we get into the text, I want you to hear the Lord Jesus' words. Some of his final words that he gave to the apostles in Matthew 28. 
And we know this is the Great Commission. Jesus came and He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Notice what He says. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus commanded baptism. So it's a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command to be obeyed. Amen? And so that's why Paul, in the book of Romans, he explains what baptism is all about. So that's where we are now. You have your Bible open to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And we'll stand and I'll read and you listen along, follow along in your copy of God's Word. Now Paul has just explained how our sins are forgiven in Christ. Not by works, but because of the grace of God. And so then he follows up with a rhetorical question. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, must also, you must also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower my words, Lord, to convey the truth of your word today to those who hear. And Lord, as we study this ordinance, this beautiful picture of new life in Christ, that Lord, it would resonate within our hearts and we would understand, Lord, the meaning of baptism. And we would live as people who've been set free from sin, who have new life in Christ. And we would live to your glory just as Christ has been raised to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk about this morning what baptism means according to these verses here in, in Romans and what Paul has to say about what it means for you and for me as believers, as Christians. And those of us who have been baptized, we've submitted to this ordinance. Those of us who have yet to be baptized uh, and what it would mean if you did submit Number one, baptism means a death has occurred. Did you know that every time you witness baptism that you're attending a funeral? Did you know that? 
Baptism represents the death of the old self. The person who is, the Bible says, is dead in their trespasses and sins. Well, that person is buried under the waters of baptism. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul puts it this way. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that's a description of the person that you were before you put your faith in Christ. Can anybody say, can you testify and say, that was me? I used to be that way. I used to follow the desires of my flesh. I used to do whatever I wanted to do. And really what was happening was the devil was leading me. And I didn't realize it. But now I do. Now I realize that that's the old self. That's the old man. That's who I once was. And praise God, I'm not who I used to be. I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but I'm not the same man or woman that I used to be. Somebody say amen to that. That's who we are in Christ. And baptism signifies, it represents that person being dead and buried. That person is gone. That person no longer lives. And so Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Hey, it's not just the death of the person that's represented. There's someone else's death that's represented in baptism. Now, who do we know that died and was buried? Well, we know a lot of people, but significant person. And hey, we're in church. Who is it? Jesus. Jesus was dead and was buried. And so every time a a believer submits to the ordinance of believer's baptism, they're portraying the death and burial of the Lord Jesus. And we're recalling that every time we see a person that goes under the water of believer's baptism. And this is why the baptismal mode of immersion is so important. It symbolizes the death of an individual, and you cannot get that picture from sprinkling. That's why it's important. That's why in a Baptist church you're going to see something similar to this. And I've seen a lot of the progressive churches You know, I feel like we're kind of going backward in time here. They'll roll in like a horse trough into church, which I I mean, I don't mind when I say progressive. I just I mean that in a facetious type term. Okay, I don't mean that they're they're theologically progressive. I just mean that they're they're the the ones that where the pastor wears the the tight skinny jeans and the rolled up sleeves and a tattoo and a beard and all that kind of stuff. Uh, They'll roll in the trough. We might do that one day. I don't know. But right now we have a wonderful baptistry that the heater doesn't work in. And so baptism first represents that a death has occurred. And immersion is important for that picture. However, whatever way that we do that, whether we do it out at the bay or we do it in someone's swimming pool. I heard Pastor Ron borrowed my waders uh, so that he could go and baptize uh, someone in their pool in their neighborhood. And uh, so... We're thankful for that uh, opportunity there that happened. And, and whatever means are necessary, but immersion is the important mode because it portrays the death that has occurred, the old self. 
Listen, if, if you've been baptized, this is what Paul would say. If you put your faith in Christ, you're not that old person anymore. So stop living that way. Set aside that person. Paul says, shall we continue in sin? And then he says, by no means. The old self is gone. Lay that person to rest. Put to death what is earthly within you. The works of the flesh. Now here's the problem. Sometimes the old self likes to rear its ugly head. (laughs) And so you must be active. Active in putting to death the flesh. So Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I mean, that, that's a, it's a very strong picture. But when we sin, we're almost like a zombie. Just a hollowed out shell of a person. That's what sin looks like. And that person has to be put back in the grave every single day. But not only does it mean that a death has occurred, and not only does it point to that, the second thing is, baptism points to a new life that has begun. Somebody say amen. A new life. Baptism represents regeneration of a believer in Christ. In John chapter 3, in verse 3, you know that that discourse was between Jesus and Nicodemus. The guy that came under cover of night, the the Pharisee that wanted to know more about Jesus. And when Jesus encountered this man, he told Nicodemus, he said this, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus thought that he had seen the kingdom of God his whole life, that it was through keeping the law. And and what Nicodemus needed to learn was it wasn't just an external keeping of the law that was going to save him. It was an internal change that had to happen. A rebirth, a regeneration of the person on the inside from the Holy Spirit that was brought down from above. And that had to happen in Nicodemus' life in order for Nicodemus to even see the kingdom of God, let alone enter it. And some would say, well, baptism is regeneration. But no, that's not the truth. Baptism is not being born again. It is the outward sign of the inward change that has happened. And so when you come back, so you're, you're the, the sinner that goes down under the water, and when you come back up, that represents the new life that you have in Christ. It represents the new person, the new self that's come up, that's been cleansed of sin. Baptism portrays the new life in three quick ways. It, it means that now you're a new person. And now you have a, a new des- destination. So you have a new identity, a new destination, and then you have a higher purpose for living. And those three three things are true for those who have been saved in Christ. Look at what it says again in verses 4 and 5. He says, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that, or the in order that, that's purpose, right? This is the reason why. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You remember in Ephesians, he said, we used to walk in the pattern of the world. Now he says, now we walk, and, and walking is a symbol or, or a euphemism for the way that we live. So now we live 
right? In newness of life, a different type of life, a better life. Listen to me. Some people will say, well, I'm living my best life. The best life that you can live on this earth is lived in right relationship with Jesus Christ. All, everything else that the world has to offer, all of those things, they end in death. The life lived in obedience to Christ ends in life. And because it ends in life, it continues for eternity. And so the new life that we have in Christ is eternal life that has begun in you. You're living in eternity right now. And so not only does it represent regeneration and it portray new life in Christ, but it also prefigures the resurrection of the dead that is yet to happen. So so Paul says that we're going to be raised just like him. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly. Now, you understand that word certainly. What does that mean? It means that Paul was certain that it was going to happen. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So there is a coming day that we will see him face to face. Paul says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. And then he says in the book of Thessalonians, that we will meet the Lord in the air and then we will live with him forever. Hey, that's coming. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice the if. If is the biggest little word in all of Scripture. If means a lot right here. If anyone is in Christ. Are you in Christ? And what that simply means is have you put your faith and your trust, have you put your life in the hands of Jesus? If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what baptism represents. It represents the coming of new life into the heart of a believer. And I just love that new car smell. What about you? But the problem with the new car, I mean, it's great, isn't it? Right? The smell of new leather, clean carpets formaldehyde. It just smells good, doesn't it? The problem with the new car smell is what happens. Wears off. Starts to smell like stinky feet. At least in my truck it does. And stinky boys. I'm not going to call Abigail stinky. But she has her own smells. Um, and it's not a new car smell. It wears off. And I think that's a problem with believers, too. We're so excited. I mean, you just look at the glow that's on Miss Christie's face today. And you can remember the day that you were baptized. You remember what it was like coming up out of that water. If it was chilly water, if it was warm water, whatever it was. You came, came up and you had that grin on your face. You had that glow about you. And it didn't dissipate all day. And you went to bed. You were just on cloud nine the day that you put your faith in Christ and followed through with believer's baptism, you are a new person. And somehow down the line, the new car smell has begun to wear off. Paul told Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. So I'm going to tell you what, 
If you want to hold on to that, I want you to remember. It's really just a, a, a remembrance that has to take place of what that was like. Get back to that place. And then remember what it was like not caring who knew about it. You know, baptism is one of the most embarrassing things that you can do, isn't it? You're getting up in front of the entire church or whoever's gathered there and you're getting into a, basically a big bathtub and you're going under the water in front of everybody where they can look at you and watch you do that. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Could be. I don't ever think that we should baptize anyone in secret. I've been asked that before. Could we just do it, you know, just a private thing? I say, absolutely not. Because we should never be ashamed of Christ. And when, and when you were baptized by believer's baptism, a public profession of faith that was, it was done in front of everyone else, right then and there, you didn't care who knew about Jesus. You wanted to tell them all. You didn't care who, 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 you, who might offend. You didn't care about that. You cared about the new life that you had in Christ. And you wanted everybody to know. And listen, you've got to get back to that place if you want that new car smell. That new believer smell. 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. He's saying, listen, the old self that's dead, what we're telling them is that stinks. <laughs> the old self stinks. And the, and the dead person, the person that's unwilling to be saved, they need to understand that that old life, it stinks. And then he says, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. The ones that are being saved, <laughs> we, we smell good to them and they smell good to us. And the life that they live, it smells good. Who is sufficient for these things? So it's a rhetorical question. Who's going to join in with us, Paul is saying? Who's going to be the aroma of Christ wherever they go? Will it be you? Are you willing to share Christ just like you were that day that you were baptized? Are you willing to, to even be embarrassed telling someone about Jesus? The newness does not have to wear off, folks. Another thing that we need to remember before we move on from this point is that a new believer is a spiritual infant. We need to learn and grow in Christ. If you trusted Christ and were baptized, but you've not been growing in God's word, fellowshipping with other believers or growing in prayer, your spiritual life is stunted. And you've got to grow from that place. You've got to continue to grow. And likewise, if you believe in Christ, if you've been a member of the church or reading your Bible or praying, but you've not submitted to believer's baptism after you put your faith in Jesus, you've gotten it out of order or you never had it, you're spiritually stunted as well. And so the challenge is for you this morning to, to review that and say, have I gotten this right? Or have I gotten it out of order? And I promise you, if you come under, you submit under the authority of Christ to believers' baptism, you will be blessed because that's the obedient life that He wants you to live.
And so baptism means, first, that a death has occurred. Secondly, that a new life has begun. And thirdly, baptism means ownership has transferred. Ownership has transferred. Look at verses 6 and following again with me. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, before you put your faith in Christ, you have a cruel master that is over your life, a dictator that is running your soul. And that dictator, he has ownership over you. You belong to him, whether you realize it or not. I'll give you a good reason, a good way to test this, a reason I know this. Just try for a day without Jesus to defeat sin and say no. Just try. Just with your willpower, just say, I'm not going to do that. And see, see how it works out. And Paul says we're enslaved to it. The writer of Hebrews says we live a life of fear enslaved to the fear of death. Verse 7 says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. What does it mean to have dominion? It means to have rule and authority over something. So because we're enslaved to sin... Before we know Christ, the de- death has dominion over us. We're bound to death. And, and if we die in that state, folks, listen to me here. If you die in that state before the regeneration has occurred, before faith in Christ has happened in your life, if you die in that state, the Bible says you will die a second death and you will go to a place called hell. So if you're not born again, you'll die twice. But Paul says this about us, those who do know Christ and put their faith. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. You hear that? So glorify God in your body. In other words, what Jesus did, what he accomplished by his death, burial, and resurrection is that he paid the penalty for our sin. He suffered the death that you and I should die because of our sin. He paid the the penalty so that you and I could be redeemed, bought back with a price. But now what does that mean? We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, I don't belong to sin and I don't belong to the devil anymore and I'm not bound in its chains. But now I belong to Jesus. The ownership is transferred. And that's what baptism represents. You see, you don't, you don't get baptized and then get baptized and then get baptized and get, get baptized every time you sin. It's a once and for all thing. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. He did it once and for all. And now he's calling you 
to walk in a manner worthy of your calling every day of your life. To walk like you don't belong to yourself anymore, but you belong to Him. And then he says in verse 10, For the death that He died to sin once and for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So Jesus is living to the glory of God the Father. And if we're with Him and we're walking with Him in that newness of life, what will we do? We will walk, live, to the glory of God. And then verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The ownership has transferred. When we got to the point where we were ready to sell Taylor's Toyota Tacoma, which, uh, by the way, that's, that's one of the best vehicles ever made by man. It's just a, you, they're just about indestructible. Especially the old hard body uh, Toyotas. I used to have one. And a great truck. But there was a, a delay getting the paper title from the state of Florida. I don't know if anybody ever has experienced that issue. Maybe you're from here and you know it's not a, you, you know it happened, so it's not an issue for you. But I'm not from here, so I didn't realize what had to take place. And so the buyer was from out of state. And when we went for a couple of weeks, he was starting to get antsy. I mean, he had the truck. He had the keys and the truck, and he had the bill of sale, but he didn't have the title. Florida still had the title. And until he had that document in his hand, he was, an, he was not officially the owner of the vehicle. So I had to get it, I had to sign it, and I had to send it to him. And then he left me alone and quit blowing my phone up. Baptism is the official sign of the transfer of ownership from the cruel slave owner of sin to the new master of life. It's the official sign of that. And that's why as a church, as a covenant community, we say it's a prerequisite to church membership and a prerequisite to the Lord's Supper. But if you've never done that before, but, but, but if you have, now, you're owned by Christ. I'm owned by Christ. We belong to Him. We're now not just His slaves, but we're His children, praise God. We belong to Him. He's bought us. He's adopted us. He's brought us in the family. He didn't say stay out in the shed with the sheep and the goats. He said, come into the house. You belong to me. And now He's feeding us from His table, and He's saying to us, you're mine. You're my children. And then one day He'll welcome us in, and we'll sit at the table, and the Lord Jesus Himself will gird Himself and serve us. Now you imagine that. That humbles me every time I think that thought. We belong to Him. And praise God for, for that. But have you covenanted together with the community of faith through baptism? See, if we're sitting at the table and we're all children, then what does that make you and me with one another? We're brothers and sisters, right? That's why every time I baptize someone, I say, I baptize you, my brother. Or I baptize you, my sister. Even whenever I had the chance to baptize my own sons, you know what I told them? I, I told Caleb. I said, I, I told Taylor. I told Caleb. I told Micah. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is why we submit to believers' baptism. We submit to it. Because we recognize the new authority that's over us. And we follow through with obedience 
is the beginning of a life of obedience to Christ. You know, Jesus never needed baptism, right? In fact, whenever he came to John the Baptist, John said, no, I shouldn't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. I'm the sinner. You're the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Listen, your life is not right if you've never been baptized. All four Gospels account to Jesus' submission to baptism. If he knew that it was so important that he himself would be baptized, what about you? What do you believe about it? So I'm calling you this morning to do what Paul says at the end here in verse 11. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's the admonition. Consider yourself. I want you to think about it. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And in this moment, just in these moments, I want you to think about this. I want you to consider for yourself. Analyze, remember, think about it. Have I ever submitted to believers' baptism by immersion? And if you'd say, Pastor, I've never done that, then why not do that? Why not submit to it and be obedient to Christ? What's holding you back? Don't be ashamed. Every person that calls himself a believer in this place, a member of this church. If they're right with the Lord, they've been baptized by believer's baptism, by immersion. And so don't be ashamed to submit this way. And if you have been baptized, I want you to look back at that moment. And I want you to remember what it was like. Remember what it was like to just have that new believer smell, the aroma of Christ to all the people around you. And I want you to get back to that place in your life by being bold in your witness for who Christ is. And don't worry about who knows. Tell them all. And if today... You've never done the prerequisite to all of that, which is faith. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that now. Just say this prayer in your heart. Say, Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've done what I know is wrong, and I've failed to do what I know is right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you paid for my sin on the cross whenever you died. When you were buried and when you were raised again. Jesus, I believe that you're alive now. 
and that one day you're coming back. So I repent of my sin. I place my faith in you, Jesus, to save me. I ask you to be my Lord, my Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer. I'll live the rest of my life loving you and serving you. Thank you for new life that you've given. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now would you stand with me? This is your opportunity. However the Lord has impressed your heart this morning, if you're trusting Jesus for the first time, you pray that prayer, you come and we'll offer to you believers baptism. We'll offer you resources to help you grow. We'll put a Bible in your hand if you need one. We'll offer you a small group Sunday school that you can connect with and be a part of and grow in your faith in Christ. If you need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray with you. And if you know that the Lord has called you to serve and love Jesus here as a part of the family at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church and you're coming to join today, this is your opportunity as well. However the Lord is dealing with you, you come and be obedient to Him. Let's sing together. Tis so sweet.